Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that we see here in this portion of God's Word is uh, thankfulness that goes on in the life of the Apostle Paul, expressive of his thankfulness to God for the believers that were there in Colossae. He gets the report from Epaphras about the church there in Colossae, and he has great joy and rejoicing uh, for that congregation. Uh, but there is always, along with the prayer and thanksgiving, as two things that go together. You find this with the Apostle Paul. He is thankful, and he expresses that thanksgiving, not simply in the letter that he responds to the Colossians, but also in his life of prayer to the Lord. He comes to the Lord in prayer. And that's how it ought to be in the life of all believers. If we're thankful, we're going to be a prayerful people. We find this even taught, expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism, where prayer is the chief form of thanksgiving which we owe to God. We're thankful to God for the redemption in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for the love of God. We're thankful for the forgiveness that God gives through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the church of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the body of believers. We're thankful for all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that are ours in Jesus Christ. And it goes on. We can be thankful to God for so many things that we forget to give thanks for, both spiritual and temporal. The Lord provides all of those things for us. And so you find Paul being a thankful individual, and as he expresses that, he comes to the Lord with that prayer of thanksgiving. And that's what he says, and uh, we'll read that further in Philippians chapter 4. We bring our supplications to the Lord with thanksgiving. We are those that come with thanksgiving. We cast our cares upon the Lord, legitimate, it's the right thing to do, but we come thankfully casting our cares upon the Lord. So don't forget, as the people of God, to be thankful. To be thankful for what the Lord does for you every single moment of every single day. What He has done for you in Jesus Christ. What He continues to do for you. Think about Christ as the intercessor. He always lives to make intercession for His people who sits right now at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things, making His enemies the footstool of His feet. Interceding, guiding, guarding, protecting, feeding, nourishing, caring for the sheep of His flock. Providing for us. Be thankful to God for that. Oftentimes it's good for us, more often than not, to write the things down. You know how it is to talk to somebody and they have something that they want you to pray for. And they bring that to you and they ask, will you please pray for me regarding this particular thing? And what do you do? You forget about it. You get involved in talking, you converse with one another, and you walk away and you forget to pray. No, that's not something that's intentional. But oftentimes, that's what happens. So, write it down. Uh, I, I can remember 20 years ago coming up to the pulpit once and somebody met me um, in that congregation just before I walked in to go up to the pulpit and they said, pray for such and such. You know, and I, I thought about it, okay, I will. And I didn't write it down. I did, you know, I had my hands full. I, and so I walked up to the pulpit thinking when I got up there, I would remember and I would pray for that person. Well, when we got to the prayer... I completely forgot. 
And of course, as you expect, this person was angry with me. And uh, when shaking hands, walked, you know, out another door, avoided him. And I didn't realize what was going on until after the fact. I had forgotten. Well, I learned something that day. I always have a pen in my pocket. And when somebody says, pray for me, I stop and I write it down. Because then I'll forget. So that we can remember to pray for one another, that's a good thing. It's a good thing, good exercise to do, is to keep uh, a list of things to pray for. And when the Lord answers those prayers, well, then take them off the list. There's healing in a certain person's life. Take it off the list. And somebody else will be added. And you keep on praying. Keep on persevering in prayer and being thankful that God hears the prayers of his people. So Paul first then gives thanks, we see in verse 3, to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is praying always to God. um, And it's through the Lord Jesus when he heard about their faith. When he heard that they had come to faith, he hadn't known, he hadn't been there. Uh, Paul is in house arrest at this time. He is going to be released. He ends up going to Spain, then re-arrested, and then uh, subsequently he is put to death. But at this point, he doesn't know about the congregation there in Colossae. News is brought by Epaphras about the congregation that has been started. And that happens, beloved, by zealous people who evangelize with the truth, who hear the gospel, the Lord converts their soul, they go some other region, some other place, and they begin evangelizing, and a congregation begins to form as the Lord redeems individuals. And so Epaphras comes to the Apostle Paul in prison, speaks to him, and he speaks to them about the good things in the congregation, the bad things, the difficult things, the heretical things that are happening in this relatively young congregation, about 10 years old at the point where the Apostle Paul writes to them. Uh, This is about 60, 61 AD. The congregation was started in the early 50s when Paul was in Ephesus preaching there. Epaphras must have heard the Apostle Paul preaching. The Lord redeemed him. He went back to his home city and began evangelizing. And the Lord began redeeming individuals. The congregation starts. So Paul is rejoicing about this. We rejoice as well when we hear of mission works. When we hear of new congregations that have been started in different areas. I have a friend who is in the OPC who, um, when I was in Menno, he was in Freeman, South Dakota, which is only a 15-minute apart. And uh, he was called then to serve in Haiti. And he, I think he had been in Haiti for 15, 16, 17 years. A long time he had been, he's been in Haiti. And I just got a newsletter from him that they are leaving Haiti to go to Uganda to start a mission work there. I, I mean, I rejoice that this guy has such a desire for mission works, but not simply to pray for the mission works. The Lord has given him the gifts to be involved, to be on the ground, to be that missionary involved. Uh, He has been involved in theological training of men in the Philippines. He has also been in uh, in Haiti with theological training. He speaks Creole. He speaks French. He speaks English. He's used of the Lord in this way. And when I read that, I rejoiced. And I said, you know, he's got a lot of nerve because that's not my gift. So I pray for him to go there. Well, you're in a Muslim-dominated area. 
So we ought to be praying for missionaries of that nature who have the zeal, the desire. It's exciting for him, you know, to go off to another adventure. And what awaits us there? Who knows? Could it be like Jim Elliott? With the, the Aka Indians, could it be death awaits? It doesn't move him. He is doing the work of the Lord. And so we rejoice and we ought to rejoice. Well, there are startup congregations in our home missions, which would be within the United States. We ought to rejoice and give thanks to God for starting congregations in different areas. And that's what Paul, notice, he gives us an example. He not only does it, but it's an example, beloved, for us, that we ought to do the same thing. Paul rejoiced when he heard of their love for all the saints. Their love that he heard that they had for the other congregations. Clearly, Epaphras is telling them how they had been praying for the other congregations of Jesus Christ. That's a demonstration of love. Love is never abstract from prayer. If we love one another, we will pray for one another. We will be involved in one another's lives through prayer. I have friends in California. I can't be physically involved in their life, but I can spiritually. I can pray for them. I can know of particular things that they're dealing with, problems and difficulties, and I can come before the Lord. And there is a uniting of the hearts in that way as we pray for one another. Prayer has that, that, that work of heart uniting and tying together people who pray for one another, care for one another intimately like that. And we all ought to be involved in that. But Paul then goes on and notice our text. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints because of the hope. Notice their love for all the saints, their faith was this, for this reason, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Hope. Hope is a great motivator. Hope is the, the way that the Lord brings healing to the soul. Do you understand that? When, when we confront particular, let's say, the, the homosexual, and we confront them in their homosexual sin, and not with a sledgehammer, but in love, in kindness, in compassion, we come to speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the liberating power of the Holy Spirit who sets us free from Satan's dominion and sin's entanglement in this world. There's hope there. There's hope of healing. The world has no hope. There is no hope to be delivered from any type of entanglement and sin, no matter what it may be, from any programs of the world. There's no hope. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. Paul says to Titus that Christ, who is our hope, the Greek term elpis, means a confidence within the heart of the believer to expect a fulfillment of all that is promised in God's word. That what the Lord has promised, He will bring it to pass. There is healing in the atonement. Now, does that mean that everybody who is sick is going to get well? No. 
not in this life, on this earth. Do some people get well? Do some people recover from sickness? Yes. Some of you are an example of that. That has been a provision by the working of Jesus Christ, provided in His atonement. But, as I was asked this this morning, ultimately, yes, all believers have that healing after this life. Because after this life, there is no more sin. And all the, the, the defilement of the physical body, the fallenness, the difficulties, the pain, the suffering, is all a result of sin. You remove sin, and there is no more consequences. All of the consequences of sin are gone. All the things that come as a result of sin, they vanish. And so, in the new heavens, in the new earth, righteousness dwells. We have immortal bodies that cannot die. The corruptible puts on incorruption. The, the one who is mortal puts on immortality. Death is swallowed up in life. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer. And all the other things that we struggle with in this world. That, that's hope. God will bring it to pass. How do we know? Because God, who cannot lie, God has said it. That's hope. There is hope for the believer who sins falls flat on his face, now he's plagued by emotions, and then another believer comes to them and then admonishes that individual. What does that mean? Nutithel, putting the word of God to their mind, reminding them of the promises. Yes, your sin is grievous, but here's your hope. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing and no one will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. They had hope. The Colossian believers have hope. We have hope. All believers have hope. And beloved, you mind that out of the truth of God's word. As you're reading the scriptures, as you're rehearsing the promises, you can see the hope that is reserved, stored up for us in heaven. Peter talks about this hope that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. And so Paul is saying the same thing here. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Christ is our hope. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling over all things. He will bring it to pass. Of which you heard before. Notice, we heard of the hope. We heard of love. We heard of faith. We heard of the hope. Where? From the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel promises, he who believes shall be saved. What must I do to be saved, said the Philippian jailer. And the apostle Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. Again, the things that I had already mentioned. These are the truth of the gospel. My sheep are in my hands. No one snatches them out of my hands. The truth of the gospel. 
He who believes is cleansed from all things, but you could not be cleansed by the work of the law. You are cleansed from all of your sins. You are made white as snow in the presence of God. And you are looked upon by our Heavenly Father as if you had kept all the commandments perfectly because you are covered in Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel promise. This is our hope, our confidence. Hope brings confidence. Hope brings joy. It brings steadfastness. It brings zeal. It brings courage to have hope. I could never be snatched from the love of God. I cannot die too early. I will die right on time. I will not die by some unfortunate, you know, this event that took place. It was unfortunate, people say. No such thing. They say, he died too young, he died too early. No such thing. That's human speaking. That's people looking at things through the lens of humanity and not the word of truth. I am immortal until the Lord is finished with me on this earth, then I die. It doesn't happen by chance. It happens by design. It's been predestined before the foundation of the world. And when you understand that, you don't live recklessly, but you don't live fearfully. You don't cower and are afraid of people. Because that's what hope does. It brings courage to the heart of the believer to live for the glory of Christ. So Paul says, of this hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is truth. Genuine, sincere, the, the, the word of truth brings reality to the heart of the individual. To know that I am righteous in the sight of God, covered and clothed in Christ, and yet I still struggle as a Christian. Why? Because sin is not eradicated in this life. It is broken so that sin no longer rules and reigns over me. But it remains. And hence the struggle. Day by day. There is the fight, the war, fighting the good fight of faith, running the race, soldier, farmer, athlete, keep on keeping on. That's the difficulty, that is, that's the truth of the gospel. And it accords with reality. We live in a world of illusion. Satan brings delusion. People don't know the truth, don't know reality. And then with all the other technology, the AI and things coming in. Is it somebody speaking? Is that the person speaking? Or is it somebody else? I mean, we had that years ago. Is it live or is it Memorex? You know, I mean, that's the delusion that goes on. The sophistry, the tricks that happen in this world. I need the truth. And this is what Jesus said in John 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Listen, beloved, you will not grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ apart from the truth. And Jesus said, thy word is truth. So we are sanctified by cultivating scripture in our lives. That's how we are more and more being conformed into Christ's image and how the hope that we have laid up for in heaven is solidified in him. Knowing and understanding. We do ourselves a grave disservice by not cultivating the truth. Not just reading through it to say, hey, I checked off my read through the Bible in a year. No, it's in understanding the truth. Because if you don't understand it, it's not profitable in your life. You've got to understand. Jesus said to the lawyer, what's your understanding of the law? How do you read it? How do you understand it? So the word of the truth of the gospel, the gospel is plain. The gospel is simple. 
The gospel is Christ. It's all His work. It's His person. What is the gospel? People want to start with, well, here's how I... No, no, no. The gospel is not you. It's not me. The gospel is Jesus. He is the good news. His life... His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His session, His coming again to consummate all things. That is the good news. He is our conquering King. He has conquered death, hell, and the devil. Christ has done that. We have the victory in Jesus Christ. That He has conquered, we conquer in Him. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We cannot... Beloved, be separated from God's love. We cannot fail. We cannot not conquer. We must conquer. Why? Because Christ has conquered in our stead. And so Paul says, that's the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, which has come to you. The gospel has come to you. How did the gospel, how does it come to different regions? How does it come to different areas? There's the spreading of the gospel. There is persecution that takes place in Jerusalem. And as the persecution takes place in Jerusalem, it begins to spread to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is the spreading of the flame. Think about the flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more the world tries to stomp out the flame, the more it pushes it in different directions, different areas, and it begins to burn there. And then you try to put it out there, stomping it. You get it on your foot. You start embers over there. It starts another fire. And it begins to keep on spreading. That's the spread of the gospel. The more that the world tries to stomp out the gospel, the more that it spreads around this world. That's why persecution is a good thing for the life of the church. It takes the gospel across the globe. This is God's design. To go out everywhere, the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in with the word of the gospel. So it comes. It comes by evangelism. We ought to be active, involved in evangelism. People you see on a plane, people in different cities, people you don't know, to tell them about Jesus. And who knows what the Lord is going to do with that. Let that be the conversation that you bring. This is how it happened in Colossae. Epaphras brought back news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't talking about the worldly things. He was talking about salvation in Jesus Christ. And so it has come to you as it also has in all the world. This is what Paul is saying. Paul uses the word cosmos, which means referring to all of the world, the spread of the gospel. Many times when he speaks in this way in the epistles, he uses another Greek term, oikomene, which refers only to the known world, the inhabited world, usually the Roman world. But here he talks about the gospel spreading in all different parts of the world in which we live. And that's with the missionaries. That's those evangelizing the truth of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they hear without a preacher? Well, how will they preach unless they are sent? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard unless there is a preacher to bring that good news? That's how churches begin. That's how uh, Christians, that's how unbelievers are redeemed to become saints in Christ Jesus. And notice that the gospel always brings fruit. Dead branches united to Jesus Christ, life in that branch now produces fruit. The fruit begins to grow. 
The fruit is seen. This is John 15. Every branch in me bears good fruit. The gospel always brings forth good fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, but always bears forth good fruit. Believing, knowing, understanding the truth of the gospel, a zealous desire to bring the gospel, that's the fruit. Fruit of obedience, fruit of love, the strengthening of faith, the hope that is in Christ Jesus, the compassion that we have for one another. The fruit of the Spirit begins to flow through, not only individually each member, but the congregation as a whole. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, faithfulness, self-control. Fruit is producing fruit. And this is what Paul says. As it has among you. It's bringing forth since the first day that you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. It's a great wonder and it's a great blessing that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in the life of the believer. You see fruit in your life? You believing the truth of the gospel? your hope in Jesus Christ? Do you say nothing in my hands I bring? Simply to the cross I cling. And I only cling to the cross because of the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. Apart from that work I would not cling to the cross. He has enabled me to see the bankruptcy of my own life, my own soul, my own works before God. He has shown me that I have nothing that is only that is filthy rags before God. And that I need a righteousness that can stand before the judgment seat of God. And that is Christ. It is only the Spirit of God that enables one to believe that. To see that. To embrace that. Eyes to hear and hearts to believe the promise of the gospel. And then when that happens, beloved, fruit, fruit begins to be produced in your life. You are planted. You are, as the disciples came to Jesus about the plants that were in the field. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. But every plant that my heavenly father plants bears fruit. You see that fruit in your life? Fruit of love. Fruit of compassion. The fruit of joy. Not not a perfection. This is not about the perfection of our lives. It's directional. True faith is directional. Direction. We are headed to the celestial city. We are on our way to Christ. Where our aim is at Christ. It doesn't matter where I am on the road to holiness, this highway. It's the direction in which I am going. Fall down many times. Struggle against many things. But I'm not on the highway to hell. I'm on the highway of holiness. That is the direction of my life. I'm growing in grace. I'm a work in progress. And so are all those that are redeemed of Christ, united to Him. He is in them. They are in Him. Do you see that, beloved? Do you have hope in Christ? Do you have joy? Do you have faith in the truth of the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? you recognize it's about Jesus Christ, not about you? Is your desire to live unto Him? Do you say, if I live, I live to the Lord. I die, I die to the Lord, whether I live or die. I am the Lord's. I belong to Him. He is my good shepherd. And therefore, I have no lack. He provides all that I have need of. Not maybe what I want, but what I need. Do you have that faith? Has the Spirit of God worked in you? So Paul says, the day that they heard and knew, 
the, notice the hearing, a kuang, the hearing with the ears that reaches down into the soul. And then they knew the grace of God. This is an interesting word. No, gnosko, it's the common Greek word used for knowing. This is not what it uses here. When they knew the grace of God in truth, it's epignoso. And the uh, P on the, the prefix of gnosko, the EPI, intensifies the word. It means a thorough understanding is what it means. They thoroughly understood the grace of God in truth. When you understand the grace of God, beloved, you know you were lost. And he found you. You know you were blind to the things of God. He made you to see. You know that you were a wandering individual. You had no hope, no joy, no crown, no rejoicing. You had nothing in this world. Only the temporal things that were fading and passing away. And you were disgruntled in your heart. And it's Christ who comes and gives us hope. He gives us all of the fruit of the Spirit. That's understanding the grace of God. It's not saying, well, because I did this, God did... No, no, no. When you were dead, He made you alive. When you were spiritually dead, going your own way, resistant to the things of God. Having no desire for the things of God. Being a pagan, fighting against the truth of the gospel. I mean, it's evident, isn't it, in the life of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus? wanting to stomp out and put to death the people of the way. It was then on the road to Damascus that the Lord came to him, knocked him down, regenerated his soul, gave him life. His life was radically changed. A complete different direction of his life. Once wanting to kill the saints, now wanting the fellowship of the congregation of God. Wanting to be involved with them. To love them, to care for them, to provide for them, to preach the gospel, to serve with them. So they knew the grace of God in truth. Knowing the grace. That's Christ. No grace apart from Christ. There's only the bounties of God's providence outside of the grace of God. That come to all men. And some get good things in this life that are reprobate. No doubt, no question. But that's not grace. That's providence. We have a a real obscuring of the grace of God. When you start calling it common. There's not common. There's such common about it. It's particular. It's special. He redeems his people. That is the grace of God. That is the favor of God. You can't have favor of God apart from Jesus Christ. Christ is the favor of God. You're in him. All the blessings flow to you. Everything outside of that. Is under the curse. You may receive the rain, the sunshine. You may receive a good crop. You may receive nice things in this life. That's not the grace of God. That is the providence of God. When you know the grace of God, you've been raised up spiritually from death to life. You've been raised up as one who was a hater of God, saying, I'm not going to have this Christ rule over me. Nobody's going to tell me where I can do, where I can go, and who I am to be. I'm going to do what I want. I am the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own destiny. That's the rebellious hatred condition of man. Trying to stomp out the ethic of God's word. But when grace appears, that's Christ. When the soul is regenerated, 
When faith is created in the heart, and you believe the promise of the gospel, you know grace has visited you. Christ dwells in you. There is new life, new love, hope, desire, compassion, new direction, new disposition of the heart. New, there's a new principle that's reigning. You know the grace of God in truth. Do you know that? If you know that, that's a reality in your life. If you know that, if you're thoroughly acquainted with the grace of God in Jesus Christ, your life is different. You are not who you once were pre-salvation. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. No, you don't get a new nose. You don't get new eyes. You don't get a new ears. That's not what happens. But you look at things differently. You view things through the lens of Scripture. You want to obey the Word of God. You desire the Word of God. You, you hunger and thirst for the Word of God. You are like a newborn babe desiring the pure milk of the Word. You devour it. You hunger for it. You want to walk consistently in what the Scriptures call us to. Principles and precepts. You want to apply them in your life. And it's not a perfect walk, but it sure is distinct. It's different from the ways of the world. It is not how the world lives. You're a new creation. So all of these things are new. And they begin then to manifest fruit in your life. And people see it. You might not readily see it, but other people see it. The kindness, the compassion, the love. The speaking about the things of Christ. All of a sudden, Jesus comes up in all of your conversations. The first one to recognize that is the unbeliever. Do you always have to talk about Jesus? Yeah. It's the context of my life. Is Christ. Christ who is my life. That's how you live. The unbelievers hate it. The unbelieving world hates it. They'll be the first to let you know that you're a new creation in Christ. Because they will tell you to shut your mouth. And you'll be like, oh, no, I don't think so. Let's keep talking about Jesus. So what happens when you know the grace of God in truth. And Paul says, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is the faithful minister of Christ. Now, Epaphras spoke to them. He preached to them the grace of God. That's how they came to know the grace of God in truth. This is the Romans chapter 10. Through the preaching. You received, when you received the word of God, you received it as it is in truth. The word of God and not the word of men. And it's able, it's efficacious. It effectively works in you who believe. This is what Paul says. Epaphras spoke this to you, preached and taught, and you came to know the grace of God in truth. You learned it. It's a responsibility, isn't it? It's a responsibility that I have to speak to you about the grace of God in truth, to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. It's your responsibility in your homes, in your families, among one another, to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to put the word of God to mind to each other. Epaphras, what a great brother, great commendation. His name means lovely. He's a lovely messenger, isn't he? Uh, the, the, the feet of the one who brings the gospel of peace. Lovely feet. How sweet it is. 
He is a fellow servant. Now, diakonia and doulos. Doulos is slave. And that's what Paul is saying here. He is a slave of Jesus Christ. He is a fellow slave. He is bought and purchased. He belongs to Jesus, as do all Christians. We have been purchased by him to be the slaves of Christ. And he is also a faithful minister. Diaconius, servant, attendant. What does he attend to? We find in Acts chapter 6, the word of God, prayer, praying for the congregation, studying, preparing, preaching, teaching, ministering, constantly about the food of Scripture is what Epaphras did. He was a faithful minister of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That's what we need, for good or for ill. Whether it's in season or out of season, we need faithful ministers to bring the word. Maybe not what you want to hear, but what the word of God teaches. It may not be according to your program that you need to do this or you need to do that. I'm not taking any instructions from you. Mine comes from the word of God. The responsibility of the consistory is to make sure that I am doing what God has called me to do as a minister of the gospel. What calls me to be faithful, what makes me, what admonishes me, what declares me to be faithful is not people, but the word of God. Whether or not I am consistent with the teaching of God's word. And so this man was a faithful minister. Great commendation. Short and sweet. He is a slave of Christ and a faithful servant of God's word to the congregation on your behalf. And it says that Epaphras also declared to us your love in the spirit. Faithful ministers bring the word and in bringing the word, the spirit works. Spirit works in the hearts of his people, producing fruit. And you can see what he says here, love in the spirit. United by one spirit. We are one body in Christ. Believers are all united together by the Holy Spirit. We've been engrafted into one body by the Holy Spirit. And therefore we share life together spiritually as a body. Well, Beloved, let that be a reality. Let it be seen in our lives. Let the, let the fruit flow. Let the fruit be produced as we are actively engaged in one another's lives. Giving, caring, sharing, serving, praying. All of this aspect of the body of Jesus Christ. And in this, Christ, who is the true grace of God, which we know in truth, will be exalted in our midst. Let that continue to be a reality in the life of this congregation. Amen. Shall we pray?